program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views expressed are those of the panelists and not necessarily those of Sengents, Glamour Connection, Van Garrett Media, their respective management, contractors, or employees. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media. Welcome to the Share Your Hotness podcast. Share your hotness. Now, here's your host, Lita Green. Hello and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and today's guest, Adam Belinsky. Crazy story. Adam, when I first met him, was the age of my children now. I know, crazy. Like, I'm so old now. Yeah, <laughs> so you, you could be my mom. I could, I could. And I, uh, I always make this joke about one day this 18-year-old boy was flirting with me and I was like, dude, I'm old enough to be your mom. And then I realized to my whore that I was at 36, old enough to be his mom and not have it been like illegal or something. So anyway, it was just funny. I'm like, dude, go find someone else to flirt with. But Adam, Adam's not like that at all. Adam has always been a very impressive young man. His parents are like, like it actually brings a, a, a choke to my heart. Cause like, they are just the sweetest, sweetest. Like when you talk about, good people it's your parents would you agree with that adam oh sure yeah i agree it, with that 100 percent. good because you know you always hate when people are like well i'm glad that's your impression of my parents and they start <laughs> to tell you like oh. stop and you're like oh okay well they're really nice to me but yeah. they're just the sweetest people in they're better in private than they are in public too <sighs> yeah they're very thoughtful okay so stop no it's true let's talk about how important that is that they yeah, are better in private mm-hmm. than they are in public. Well, what I what I mean by that is there's a lot of things that go on in people's lives that you don't see publicly, right? They're not broadcast. Right. And, and so uh, the more you get to know somebody behind the scenes, the more you get to know their genuine character. And, you know, my parents are really different. My dad is a lot more talkative, outgoing. He can be a little loud sometimes. <laughs> He can be a comedian, entertaining. Nothing wrong with loud, funny guy. No, nothing wrong with it at all. (laughs) And my mom, she's very quiet and calm and, um, and they both offer different things to me. And I think have like impacted my personality in different ways. You know, I get my people personness in part from my dad and his outgoingness, but the uh, sensitivity toward people's feelings and anxiety about whether or not people are happy or happy with me you know, I get that from my mom because she's always uh-huh. concerned, you know, is there something I can do to help this person? Is this person sad or depressed? Did I offend this person? Like she's always concerned about those kind of things, wanting to, you know, make peace with everybody and be everyone's best friend. And so it's, they've been great parents to have. So it's nice of you to give them a shout out. It's no, they, they are super sweet people. So we all knew each other when my husband and I went to, well, I say I, he and I, he went to law school, but he brought myself a lot so I could put him through law school and we had a hard time getting kids and evidently when we have no real job because I was cleaning houses and selling makeup and I was going to put my get certified as a sign language interpreter there but then my son my sixth pregnancy was 
viable. So I was like, I didn't want to be putting him in daycare. That just wasn't something I wanted to do. So I'm like, I'll figure out whatever side hustles I have to and compile side hustles together to be able to be home with my son. But I am hundred percent positive that your mom, I can't remember it was a pregnancy or a miscarriage brought me over dinner and cried with me. So I'm thinking it was a miscarriage because of just the whole conversation that we had. Um, and my miscarriages were not totally public, you know, but sure. I just remember her holding my hands and just looking in my eyes and just totally being there empathetic for me. So I, um, I've got tears in my eyes now because that was mm -hmm. such beautiful memories, that but a nice story. yeah. So that my son was 18. So I have known your family for that long, well, like a little bit longer than that long. Yeah. And you know, it's great with uh, social media to keep tabs on each other a little bit here and there even and you're like a full grown impressive adult who's gone to law school too so growing up in a town that your local congregation had a ton of law student families coming in and out did that influence you yeah, going they were into always law working school? with the youth too right and yeah so it was it's fascinating because you look back at the group of teenagers I grew up with and a lot of us went to law school. I don't know if you really realize I didn't that, know that. Yeah, a good handful of us went to law school. And I certainly think that was part of the reason I went. I mean, I looked up to your husband. I looked up to, you know, one of my business partners I have now who is actually in our congregation and worked with the youth with me when I was a kid. You know, he um, was a great example. So I just, I've always thought highly of people who go to law school and enjoyed that you know i was blessed with these mentors who are not only really really nice people but critical thinkers you know and when you're going through high school and you're a teenager it's easy to start questioning a lot of things uh when it uh -huh. comes to faith when it comes to anything else and it's nice to have people who you feel like oh they're they're thinking hard and i can ask them hard questions and not you know, yes. shy away from those difficult conversations. Which I think we, as, you know, a faith community, we get into trouble when we don't ask the hard questions. And yeah, I I, that's that. true of any community, you know, any ideology, any idea that you're not asking hard questions. So what does this mean for this? What does it mean for that? So I think that's really good insight. It's okay to ask those hard questions and actually helps make us have a deeper character and more empathy. Well, and I think those hard questions should start with our, our self-talk. You know, it's, it's okay to be brutally honest with yourself <laughs> and, yes. and try to peel back the layers of things. Because I think every time we do something, there's a, a bunch of different motivating factors, right? And well, some I call of them the... are more obvious than others. And sometimes we claim a motivating factor. We're doing this because of this. But really, there's a bunch of other things kind of in the woodwork that may or may not be compelling us forward more than we think. And so it's nice to just pause here and there and be introspective and say, why am I really doing this? Why do I really care about this? You know, am I really doing this out of love or am I doing this because I'm trying to prove I'm better than somebody else? You know, what, what, what's going on? And so that's something I think about a lot, just uh, self-motivation for different things and trying to be brutally honest with myself, even if it's not very fun sometimes. I call it the American Idol syndrome mm. because, you know, those kids that go on there and their families are like, what, what do you mean you didn't get it? And, and you know, frankly, they're awful. Some of right? them, right? Some of them, some of them are like, you know, freaking amazing, but some of them are so bad 
Mm. You're like, no one actually did a contrast to people in the business to, to, to what they were doing to say, Hey, and last night my daughter had a choir concert and she's like, how do you think I did? And because I know her and I'm her mom, I said, there was one moment that you looked only because I'm your mom and I know you, there was this one moment where you seemed a little bit, and she goes, yeah, I did forget. I I felt like I was going to forget the words. But I didn't, mom. I didn't. And I was like, good. A deer in the headlights look or something. Yeah, she just kind of just like this little, I mean, and it's not, it's not totally fair because I'm, you know, a sign language interpreter having lived among the deaf. I pick up on micro expressions. I pick up on facial expressions as though they're communication. So I pick up on things other people would probably maybe just skim over. I don't know, but Um, sometimes I have to be like, I'm talking to a hearing person. I'm talking to a hearing person. They're, they're not being aware of the messages they're sending out. So I think, cause my first book is about being kind to yourself, but also having that balance of being real about where you are. And that's true confidence because if you're lying to yourself, you cannot be confident because at some point in your soul, your brain, your heart, whatever, you know, that you are not being an in integrity. And integrity is an essential part to feeling good about who you are. Yeah, I agree with that. So there's that balance. And I love how you said that they were teaching you to think critically and to ask yourself those questions. So those are some good, that's some good juiciness right there. Well, you I want love a that. specific story. One of the leaders I love it. one time, uh, and I just, this has stuck with me. It was so impactful. We had this uh, activity where we got together and we were listening to music. And he said, I want you to pay attention to how you feel when you listen to these various songs. And he went through this playlist and it was this, you know, very diverse breadth of types of music. And it was, it was wild. It was so palpable how different you felt listening to different songs, but I'd never taken the time to really evaluate when I was listening to my own music, you know, how does this really make me feel? What kind of mood does this put me in? And we went through and then uh, he actually challenged us to throw away CDs that were giving us negative, bad vibes. And uh, I did. And for uh, I, I went and I, I did that because it was such an impactful activity. I'm like, my goodness. Music but I love that you. Incredible. OK, that just says a lot about your capacity to be willing to learn. Because you were given a challenge and you did it. And I do think that learning builds, builds upon itself. If it's learning of character, learning of, you know, spiritual things, learning of intellectual pursuits, that if you don't implement the baby lesson, you yeah. don't get the toddler lesson. If you don't do the toddler lesson, you don't get the grade school lesson, right? That sure. it all builds on itself. And so people will be like, how can I become a happier person? I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, there are principles of happiness. Right. Of how we talk to ourselves, of how we think about ourselves, how we interact with other people. And if you're disregarding those little impulses and those little messages and these little principles, life really is fairly simple, Mm -hmm. but it's hard. Right. So you got to surround yourself with good content, which I hope this podcast is something that people helps them think and helps them refine because we're always learning and we're always becoming more and better, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Should try. Hopefully. Okay, so questions, because I know you have, you're married. How long you've been married? Which is just uh, weird because you're 16. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've been married almost 13 years. We've got <laughs> four kids, boy, girl, boy, girl. We just got it perfectly. Yeah, I'm having, um, 
Adam, I have come to this realization that I am almost midlife. And when my people be are 100, <laughs> that's almost 50. And I'm not having a crisis about turning 50 because I'm 48. But it's just kind of like this, wow, I am no longer any part of me would be considered a young person. Isn't that you can be, weird? You can be young at heart. Well, yeah, I mean, clearly (laughs) those things, but it's just weird because you think of yourself. And so to hear you say you've been married for 13 years, that's like. Well, I feel like I'm getting old myself because this year I passed the threshold where now I can run for president if I want to. Oh, you're you're, you're, (laughs) 25. Is that 35? I I was like 25. That's way too young. Okay, 35, 35. I mean, you could have the maturity of a less than 25 year old and run for president, you know, as we've seen in the past. I'd hate to become political. However, I would, uh, I would vote for you. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, from who I've known you to be there. I was listening to a thing the other day, um, you know, would you want anyone to go through your emails, you Mm -hmm. know, and to see how many um, you know, and it said homophobic and racist and misogynistic things. And it's in relation to a football coach that mm. got released. And I was like, I don't know. I don't feel like there's a whole lot of my emails out there, um, you know, because I, I don't demonize different groups. Sure. But there I do say some poopy things about particular individuals in, in texts or, you know, someone I'm having a conflict with. But yeah, having been raised by your that. parents, I bet there are no. Um, <laughs> there are no uh, misogynistic, homophobic, or hopefully racist. Not. Yeah, I hope yeah. not. I hope yeah, not. I, I can't imagine your dad and mom like they're just the sweetest, as we've as we've uh, discussed. So, what a great heritage you've been given. So, I know we don't want to get too political, but this uh-huh. is kind of an apolitical political thing that I'm working on. It's just a passion project. Okay, great. I love uh, it. So, it's nothing that I'll make money on, but I have this website called Innovate Politics, and the the gist of it is very simple you get together people across the political spectrum so you get someone who's conservative as to a particular issue you get someone who's liberal as to that particular issue you get someone who's more moderate you team up the three and you have them joint author an article about the things that they can actually agree on it will time will tell how long these articles can actually be but you take something like abortion right where there's a whole lot of different opinions about things but people could probably generally agree that we want fewer abortions, right? Fewer abortions would be better. And here's how catastrophic the abortion situation has been and how many people have been impacted. There's just hard facts that you can't argue with, right? And then you follow up an article that you can agree on with hard hitting questions of what to explore next to further the dialogue and further unite people. Because if we could just come to the bottom of this or that, then maybe anyway. So it's called Innovate Politics. And um, I love it. I just I launched love it, it a couple of weeks ago and I've been I people and now sure. I've got to match them up with each other. And it's become a little I, well, more I'll throw my hat in the ring because I love having these kinds of conversations. I love having conversations, period. I mean, you know. Um, but I think the solution to our problems is that we don't demonize a group. You know, mm-hmm. once we are used as other or they we are the pawns of those in power right i mean even using labels like liberal or conservative can be really yeah. problematic yeah I think they can be helpful if you're looking at one particular issue but it's really hard to throw somebody in like a liberal bucket or conservative bucket and to have that have great meaning because 
you know, liberals don't agree on everything. Conservatives don't agree on everything. It's just, right. yeah. I joke that I'm so conservative. I'm liberal, <laughs> you know, because, um, I don't, um, you know, who's to dictate what like moral issues. Okay. So the moral issue would be like abortion. Um, you know, the definition of marriage, LBTQ, all that kind of stuff. Who's to define what is the moral standard? Because if, um, if it were defined by, you know, members of my faith, the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, we wouldn't have sex till we were married. Right. And I'm not going to uh, go around and imposing that on people. That conduct they wouldn't criminalize it. Of course not. But I'm just yeah. saying, but you know, we've throughout history, there have been, um, politics that were run by one religion or another. And, you know, from the Catholic church to the, to the Muslim faith. Right. And it's never really been kind to people that deviate from what the, the standard was. So I don't want a theocracy unless it's like actually God, because <laughs> that's never really worked out well. Right. So I believe in Jesus will come and all the problems will be solved and, you know, there'll be love and happiness and a perfectness. Right. Um, and some people call that a pipe dream, but you know, it's better than zombies as a second coming. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, yeah, the I zombie apocalypse, I've only seen the movie clips. They don't, they don't look really good. So I like my idea better, but you know, who's to dictate, who's to decide what the moral, and I'm putting that in quotations because everyone has a different level. You know, for me, I'm not going to wear a shirt that shows off my girl power, as I call it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I also am not uncomfortable showing my ankles and my wrists. Right. So there's going to be different ideologies around and different ideas about what is the right thing to do. And so I don't think the role of government has any decision making in that realm. Oh, any. I don't think that they should I mean, be dictating that's a, that's marriage. Statement. Well, so I yeah. mean, we're just talking morality generally. Right. Um, but when it involves children is my caveat. Mm -hmm. So we can't be having sex with kids. Mm -hmm. And so that makes it a little bit where with obviously with abortion, I went through 10 pregnancies to get my three kids. I was told for two of my children to abort them. And it was not something that I chose to do. Mm. But I also have lifelong hip issues for not aborting one of my children. Mm. And but that was a decision that I made with sure. my body to get pregnant mm -hmm. and knowing that that was the potential. If I carried the baby full term, that I would pay a price with my degenerative hip. Yeah. And I made that decision, but I would have a really hard time imposing that on someone else, even though I personally am against abortion. Mm. And I think that every life is sacred. So that's where we start getting into this gray area of why are we getting into this ideology? I don't think government should be deciding what I morally decide is the what's right for my body, including I'm going to say something controversial. Vaccine mandates. Yeah, we're I personally deep, we're getting deep into. Politics. I know I said not to get political, <laughs> but um, but uh, I am pro vaccine personally. Yeah. But I don't think I think it should be a decision between me and my doctor, just like who I marry should be a decision between me and my priest, as long as it does not involve children. Yeah. Well, what's fascinating, I think, is there have been some studies that suggest that encouraging people rather than mandating people can bring to pass better compliance anyways mm -hmm. and so it's it's kind of a win-win because you win on the freedom front but you also win on the compliance front where generally speaking good vaccines are good for people and right. you know it's, it's benefiting society but yeah i think 
you're probably right. And at least for the purpose of this podcast, not wanting to get super duper political, but you know, I just think the way things work politically, if you have a super majority of people that believe something morality wise, they can make it law if they want to, right? Like they can make an amendment yeah, to the just, constitution if they want to, if they have that much, right? Um, that much. So it's, uh, and, that and, said, I just feel like the role of government, and this is where I would be in the conservative camp is that the role of government should be smaller in our lives. Oh yeah. Amen to that. I think most people would agree with that nowadays. And I think the more local you get, maybe the more influence it should have. But, you know, we shouldn't be painting with these broad strokes where it's like, we're going to do this to the whole country. It's like, well, the cost of living is different everywhere. Why are we making everywhere the same federal right. minimum wage, for example? Well, and they'll you know, do this. There's so this many thing. different factors. Exactly. And they'll do this thing where they'll be like, okay, well, look at Susan, you know, Susan who lives in this town and Susan and her very particular situation. And you're like, wow, that's terrible. I feel awful for Susan, Mm -hmm. you know, because they've told you and they've humanized Susan and you're like, wow, I I feel like I know a Susan. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, and because of Susan and her situation, we're going to change everything. We're going to do this big, huge mandate. We're going to do this big, huge constitutional thing, you know? And you're like, yeah, whoa, it's not everybody. The avalanche of one, right? Like <laughs> you got to be really careful that if somebody gives a little point of feedback, you don't necessarily have this cascading, you know, sweep of decisions that are just coming from that one person because it may not be as broken as it appears just in that one anecdote, right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, it's a, when I was a medical interpreter for the deaf, as I mentioned, um, before we, before I met you, when I lived in DC, so long ago, so crazy. Um, and yeah, it was fascinating. And I was in an inner city hospital, like gunshot victims, burning, um, drug overdoses, um, rape, you know, Mm -hmm. really, really hard stuff. Right. And, um, one particular day, this young lady came in and her, um, she was deaf and I personally think deaf or linguistic minority, not a disability, but a lot of people do view deaf people as a disability, which I disagree, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, but obviously if you are deaf and there are a lot of people who think you're disabled, it's going to be harder for you to go and get a job everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So anyway, she's deaf, her mother's hearing and, um, she is pregnant. And she's not sure who the father is. There have been so many different young men in her life. Mm. And they presented to her all the different options available to her for her pregnancy, including abortion to adoption, to keeping the baby herself. And um, I'm interpreting for this, you know, so she can have, you know, a a full not having to lip read or write back and forth kind of thing. And then not even a week later, a young lady came in who was um, very high. Oh, by the way, the first girl's white. The second girl is black. The second girl is hearing, but her mother's deaf. So, you know, you can make the argument that being hearing versus deaf is going to give her more opportunities to provide for her for herself. She also was a very top student. And I'm there because I'm interpreting for the deaf mom. Right. And so she also was having her mom there. And the other lady was saying, I'm not going to help with your mom. I'm I'm not going to help with your baby. It's all on you. So the support network for this, for the white girl was a lot smaller, black girl, very stable family from everything coming out, 
huge support network, very large, happy, loving family. She knew who the father was. They were in love. They, the mother wasn't saying you need to get married. You know, they weren't like forcing this kind of thing. Um, but the only option given to this girl was to have an abortion. Wow. And I was like, wait, because my job is to advocate, not yeah. just interpret literally in the contract, which is different than most um, language interpreters. Yeah, We're not nice. advocate, that's cool. but we also, voice. that's me. Right. So I was like, oh, you're forgetting. And I, you know, in sign language, you put your hands out and you start going over the list. Mm-hmm. And so I started being like, oh, you're forgetting. And they were like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. and I ended up getting a disciplinary action against me. No way. And I was like, and I couldn't figure out why, because I'm looking at this girl who doesn't even know who the dad is, does not have a support network. And they gave her all these choices. And then the other girl who has everything going for her, including she knows who she made the baby with and he cares about her. Mm. There's no comparison between these two. Do you think it was racially motivated or was Well, it then I asked that yeah. because they're sitting there pushing back on me and they were like, no. And they said, this is our policy. And I said, what? To only offer um, the abortion choice as the only option to girls of, that were black. And they were like, oh, no, no, it's not about being black. It's not about being black. And I was like, well, then why did the white girl get different options than the, than the black girl? And they were like, well... Okay, so it's because, you know, it's just it's just better for more people want white babies. And I'm like, are you people want what can you say? They said the more people want white babies. Oh, my gosh. And I, you know, they didn't know that at one point I had been engaged to a man of color. So I'm sitting there being like, I don't even understand what you're talking about. Like, I don't even. I don't even understand this, but they're rationalizing what they're saying is not racism, but really is racially motivated. That's hardcore. Yeah. And so that, of course, flavored my opinion about abortion, Mm -hmm. because if you look at the statistics, it is very high in the African-American community, much, much, much higher rates than the white community. Wow. And it makes me sick. It literally makes my heart sick to think about how, well, they're like, well, more people want white babies. And I'm like, ah, you know, and so it makes it a really hard thing for me to be like, why aren't we doing abortion where every single young lady that is in that situation has a counselor? Because having had seven miscarriages, mm-hmm. which are very much like an abortion as far as what your body goes through. Mm-hmm. and your emotions go through. And there are physical ramifications that I had to have a hysterectomy because of those miscarriages mm-hmm. that it's, there's so much medical, psychological, emotional at play here that just to make it too easy without a psychology, without a therapist, why aren't we putting effort into mental health for these girls? So yeah. there's my, on that yeah, that's you know? a crazy story that I, I can't believe that. That's and I crazy. saw it play out. And like I said, I got disciplinary action against me my goodness. and my not being, um, my, my inability to see people's color as a problem or an obstacle got me in trouble more than once. Yeah. That's yeah. Crazy. Huh. I know. Isn't it? And it was from people who said that they were not racist. And I'm like, if you 
I heard it said one time the expectation, um, the prejudice of low expectations. And I was like, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. That mm-hmm. is racism. If you expect less from somebody because of what they look like, mm-hmm. how is that not racist? Right? Right. right. So here we are, two white people solving all the problems for the community of color. Right. But <laughs> sorry right. to out you. Do you identify yeah. as white? I wasn't. I, that was, I, do I yeah. identify as white? I'm like a poltergeist on the screen that people won't see the way the light's coming through the window. Yeah. I'm, I'm as white as they come, especially. Yeah. Yesterday, somebody asked me where my people are from. And I literally, that's like my favorite compliment is when people don't assume I'm automatically white. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> you know anyway so yes yeah but you know who who know i like i identify as not totally white so maybe you don't either <laughs> okay so adam in the 18 years since you have grown up and you've been married for 13 years mm. and you have all these little people like how how old your oldest four 11. 11. you've done so well making people yeah well done yeah. yes you know, well done. Um, yeah. So I like to tease people to keep the numbers up since for Utah, <laughs> I didn't get as many as I wanted, but not for lack of trying. Um, yeah. our, I, our- I, I can't relate in, in the depth that, you know, that you guys had, but we did struggle our first year to have kids and we started meeting with doctors and things like that. And I remember it being just very emotionally draining, especially for my wife. And I think we had a miscarriage or two. It's hard to know when it's really early on exactly if, you know, but um, anyway, so we can relate with you on that front, at least minimally. And it's not a competition. It's not a competition, but just, yeah. yeah, And and so that was, that was hard. But then after that, it was like the floodgates opened and the baby started popping out of the woodwork. And (laughs) now we have four. Look at your wife and she's pregnant, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's not right now. (laughs) So don't, don't look at her. now. Um, yeah, no, it, it was, uh, several years of, of trial, but, um, you know, I would, I lost babies that were considered by medical science a fetus, you know, cause I lost them at four oh, months, yeah. um, four wow. months in a week, which, you know, yeah. three more weeks and it would have been considered a baby. Yeah, and, you know, the further along that you lose a baby, um, the harder it is on you physically and emotionally, um, because of the hormones. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But still you all lost the same thing. Mm-hmm. You lost a child that you would love. And I have a son that would be 20 mm-hmm. and, you know, do it Easter. And look at me. I'm all, man, what, Adam, you're making me cry today. It's like your parents, you know? Um, yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I can't um, actually you're almost 21. Um, but, you know, I think of, you know, where would he be? What would he be doing? And if you lost that baby at six weeks or, you know, four, four, almost four and a half months, as in this case, what's the difference? It's still going to be a baby, which again, colors my whole entire view on the abortion thing is that I think every life is sacred and precious and we are all deserving and, you know, which, you know, it's why we should up our immigration quota, get more people here legally, you know, and who we knew where they are. See, I just covered all, I just had to make sure I covered all the basis of my not political <laughs> podcast. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> We, we don't get political on here, you know, because no, we, no, we, we don't want to be fighting, you know. No, that it. wasn't political, what just happened. <laughs> yeah, no, not, not, not at all. 
Okay. So you've got your little kids. Tell me about what, cause you went to law school. What kind of law do you do? So right now I don't practice law at all. I but you went to law school. Yeah, I went to law school. Yeah, went to law school. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. I went to law school, but I didn't really have a plan on necessarily practicing law. I just knew I wanted to go to law school. Didn't know at all what I was going to do. With so you're a masochist. Degree. You wanted to go lots of student loan debt, really no. into schooling. <laughs> well, just to... <laughs> yeah, I got lucky. I, I went to a school that I was able to get a scholarship for. So I, we actually didn't have any law school related what? debt, which was a, yeah, a miracle. Actually, so are you like one of those really great students? Just be honest. Don't be humble. Just tell us. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Because you get a scholarship to law school. Yeah. Dang. Well done. Well, Adam. And um, yeah. What's what's wild? So I don't know if you remember in 2012, it was kind of the bottom of the trough with the recession in terms of the housing market. Yeah. And we bought a home in 2012. At the time, I was working as a corporate trainer. We were up in Wisconsin, and we um, pivoted from there to law school. We only lived in the house like eight months, but we made some good money on the home. And so between that and the scholarship, it was just a miracle we were able to get through law school without any debt and a few kids and and everything. And you're so, in California now. California, Missouri, oh, <laughs> which is like population 4,000. But if you throw a dart, like right at the heart of Missouri, which is pretty much the heart of the country, you'll, you'll hit us. And I so, thought you were saying you went between California and Missouri. No, no, <laughs> nope. Not, okay. not traveling too much now, especially with the pandemic, but yeah, yeah. It's but, kind of weird. Yeah. But yeah. So what I do now is I do legal education. I help people pass the bar exam past law school finals i have this little company called crescendo with a u like you're crushing it crush you know yes. the end of your semester crush, yeah crush it crush your exams but um i love it yeah. and is that the one that our our mutual acquaintance well you know from law school is mm-hmm. it because you had said that he'd uh invest in your business and he was hounding you to to give take his money and i'm like yeah. if anyone wants to hound me to take their money yeah well so hounding <laughs> is uh exaggeration and well that was my word and, that was my yeah word. well no i yeah. use that word too uh i said hounding lovingly <laughs> yeah oh, okay okay so, yeah it was uh but no he really did want part of the company and so um i was working for him doing legal work for some of his clients he had his own little firm at the time Right. And he was also starting another company, which has since become wildly successful um, and has given him some extra cash flow. So, yeah, he he joined up with me, gave me some money. We were able to hire some people. And um, at first I was just going to do audio outlines, audio flashcards, basically supplements for the bar exam or for law school final preparation. But with the extra funding, we were able to um, get practice questions and do a bunch of other things. So now we have like a full on comprehensive bar prep suite that competes with these other big box companies that have been doing it for decades. And so, uh, it, it was really good to, to give up some of the control of the company, some of the ownership. I love how you say that. Some of the control. <laughs> <laughs> some of it. Yeah. Well, um, he's nice. He lets me do pretty much whatever he gives me good. He's a charismatic play. guy. Yeah. He's a yeah. nice guy. So Anyway, so that's that's what I'm doing, and it gives me a lot of flexibility with my family. Um, mm-hmm. At first, it was crazy. You know, my wife and I were just reflecting the other night, just those early startup months where sometimes it was 80, she said even 100-hour weeks. Sometimes I didn't really keep track, you know. Right, um, right, because that's, I just that's was um, grinding away, you know, morning, afternoon, hard night, but to be like, how many hours have I worked? 
you yeah. know yeah that's yeah, not it's better that's... not to count and yeah i've always been more of a, like a project oriented worker anyway and so just be you know what i had to get done and some of our courses we wrote in like a week a week and a half two weeks because we had pre-sold them and and i was the one um, writing the courses we had illustrators doing the artwork for it and you know we had some uh, professors that we hired to vet our content make sure it was accurate we didn't get too creative but um, <laughs> still it was crazy it was crazy crazy and now it's a lot more balanced and we're moderately busy but it's it's a really nice gig for being a young parent with kids who need me more than you know when they're grown up and gone or yeah, even yeah. teenagers time no it's so, it's a uh, wonderful um, my husband's been working from home mm -hmm. for I think seven years now and I love that when the kids come in from, you know, wherever they're coming in from school or whatever, they could choose because our, our offices are just on the same floor, but opposite sides mm -hmm. of the house. Mm -hmm. So literally you see them come up the stairs and they'll be like, go that way. If it's a math question, come, <laughs> they come this way. If it's like, you know, a problem with a peer or something at school. And, but if it's a math question, they're definitely steering clear of, of my office. Cause I'm no help on that. <laughs> That's but cool. um, that's cool. Yeah. Being able to to be there for your kids and even that younger age, that's mm -hmm. that's a beautiful thing that you, you and your wife have made happen. Mm -hmm. And during those 80 hours and 100 hour work weeks, mm -hmm. um, that was your wife doing it like she did in yeah. law school when you were just gone. <laughs> well, law school wasn't so bad, actually. Like, that's right. Because you had a scholarship. <laughs> well, well, and not just that, though, like the irony of it. So my company is all about audio to like free up your time. So when you're studying, you can clean the house, take your kids to the park, but you're listening to the audio, you know, and, um, and I used a similar approach when I was studying for law school for ah. and for the bar exam. So, and I had a really awesome study group. So like between the study group and my own audio recordings, it was really low key getting through law school for the most part, like it was better than any kind of corporate situation where I was working prior to law school. Uh, we look back and we go, man, those were like three really awesome kind of balanced low key years, which is not what you'd expect with law school. But yeah, for me, you that, need to make sure my experience was you need to make sure that that's in your marketing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right, we, yeah. We hit people over the head with, with with the story behind Crescendo. Yeah, we hit them pretty hard with it. But um, and you know, what's what's hard, though. When you make something yourself, it's a lot more memorable than if you use somebody else's stuff, right? So just saying like, I created these things for myself and it worked for me doesn't necessarily translate to, I've created these things for you and it will work for you. And so we've, we've had to work really hard to try to make the content we have memorable um, through mnemonics or memory hooks and memory palaces and you know visualization exercises and even things like positive affirmations to, um, to help people build confidence in themselves and, and remembering so we don't say don't forget this don't forget that we say you'll remember this <laughs> you'll remember that that phrase thing, don't forget is actually a negative affirmation and it, it always is, is yeah funny so we, to me. we like, that one we, we yeah, avoid that, ditch like, that one and we yeah avoid, crush it yeah it's, <laughs> it's dead it's so dead so we just say yeah. you'll remember this you'll remember that um yeah. when we repeat those really critical things and so yeah, it's been an interesting, uh, interesting challenge to try to create something that's commercial, but people feel like it becomes their own because they're kind of co-creating through their imagination as they listen. 
Very cool. So when you worked for the training company, you mentioned that briefly, was this kind of some stuff that, um, kind of taught you that? So it certainly helped prepare me for adult education. I was at the time training doctors and nurses on medical software, which sounds kind of boring, but we still jazzed it up. You know, it's a lot more, it's good to have fun in life, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever you're doing. And so we had, we, we made software training as fun as we could. And I learned some things there. They had some in-house classes, courses that I went to, to help prepare me to be a better corporate trainer. So that was great. That's one part of my history that really has helped with Crescendo. Another part is prior to corporate training, I was a TV reporter. And with TV reporting, you have to take a lot of information, distill it into a minute and a half story that everybody can understand, right? And so that was another skill that's benefited me a lot because with the bar exam, you're trying to take a ton of information, distill it to its real nuts and bolts and make it palatable, you know, make it digestible. And so um, both of those career paths helped combine to create crescendo that I have now. So when you look back, like on my resume, it's like, what the heck, this guy is totally like all over the place. Like he has no common thread. He's just everywhere. I'm not Uh, one to judge because I have an untraditional path, but I think that's something that's so cool about the world today. You know, like, um, you know, your grandparents would have started with a company and stayed with a company. Yeah. Oh, and and they did a lot of, yeah. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I feel like it was, you know, even like in the eighties, it was still something that was taught, like, you know, to my generation, it was still taught to us that the best way forward is to have a company that you stay with and loyalty yeah. and loyalty, but yet companies aren't going to have that same loyalty to you. And so, um, you know, in my adult life, I've seen more, more and more people like me that have just kind of found, what are my talents? What are my abilities? What am I good at? And did that instead of, um, a job because people have asked me for years, like, why don't you have a job? And I'm like, I'm unhirable. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm making a joke because I would be a great employee because I'm a great employee to myself. But um, that, you know, the traditional path of having like a college degree, my parents were unable to um, pay taxes. So I wasn't able to borrow money to go to school until I was 24. So I had to be creative. Wow. You know, because, and I think that's fair that you shouldn't. Um, get to have uh, the, you know, we call it pale grants now. It's called FASPA now, right? But you shouldn't get money if, you know, you're not paying into the system, right? If you're not doing your part to pay, you know? Um, so that I think that's a fair consequence. It just kind of is a bummer consequence for me. But yeah, the point was I wasn't even able to borrow money to go to school until I was legally, financially an adult at 24, which I'm like, how is it that I'm an adult at 18 for crime? But I don't get a vote till 21 and I don't get to borrow money till 24, like real money. Uh, that's interesting. I had no idea that there was that 24 threshold. That's interesting. Yeah, to be able to, be able to borrow student loans. And it's just like, ah, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I knew there was an older age for like renting rental cars and driving Which, around. Yeah, I think is 20, 23. I don't, I don't know if that's a company-based policy or an actual law right. related thing. I might Whatever, I've passed it a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yep. Me too. 10 years at least. (laughs) Yeah. I'm way, I'm way past that, you know, and as are you, cause you're an adult now, 
That's right. And even though it's blowing my mind because we have not literally talked since you were a teenager and we didn't, we, I don't, we don't think we had these long conversations, but I've been able to love watching you grow up. And when I was like, ah, look at that. Adam balinski has got his own social media account. Like, (laughs) you know, how crazy is that? Okay. So, um, is your wife home with the kids or is she, I'm assuming she works within crescendo as well helping helping that go forward yeah she does a little bit but most of her time is just helping out with kids which Loving is a lot the bigger work and yeah uh it's a big job when you have four kids yeah well, i mean it's a big job when you have what yeah yeah well, yep and when i mean we're 11 on down to two right and so the two-year-old the six-year-old they've got a lot more needs than the older kids who are physically now yeah, physically. Yep, physically. Yep. They but the needs, um, needs and yeah. I've heard this about as teenagers really get older and I, and talk about, let's talk about the little affirmation thing for a minute. You know, and people are all like, Oh, you know, these teenagers, they're going to, they're going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. And like, well, if you're an 11 year old and you've been hearing for years, how you get to fall apart as a teenager. And, you know, I'm like, I had had role models and mentors right. yeah, that would you say them up for failure a little bit by all yeah, that, yeah you know yeah. calling them a stinker pants or something yeah, yeah. and so I always called my kids awesome and awesome sauce and I have a whole speech for kids about how you make your own awesome sauce right <laughs> um but okay. you know telling them and one day my son turned to me and he goes I said hey awesome and he goes mom which awesome are you talking to And there's that old joke where, you know, the dad's on the porch and he says, Hey, you poop snot, but he's using different words, but you know, me and my bad language. Right. And then, Hey, stinker. And the kids are like, Hey, which stinker are you talking to? Which poop snot are you talking to? Right. (laughs) You you know, you've heard that joke, right? Yeah. That's funny. So I like, I like how you use awesome as just like the generic pet name with your kids, I guess. I, I, I'm guilty of saying either gorgeous or handsome, depending on who it is, which is a lot more superficial than just like awesome can be like inside out. And I I do think my kids are gorgeous and handsome, but I also think it means how we define those words. Sure. Right. Uh, No, I agree with you there, but, but in any case, it it made me reflect, maybe I could call them awesome (laughs) or something like that, you know, so especially, you know, uh, nowadays people can really hang their identity on how they appear and that's just such a such a small piece of, of the well life. i also call all young people sweetie because i lived in the south for too long because right before i lived in new hampshire i lived in the south uh-huh. so all young people are sweetie and um i also use prince and princess and that is reminding my children that i am the queen and their father is the king and you know <laughs> so that's kind of like a an interesting motive to right <laughs> and, but i'm also princess. reminding them that they are daughter a son and daughter of a heavenly king there i'm you you know, very christian so there's that parallel yep. that i'm reminding of the things that they are becoming and preparing for mm-hmm. um, but my son at a certain point he's like don't call me prince <laughs> so i'm like okay <laughs> so yeah, yeah. awesome has Probably always good been to respect that yep. yeah i i so my daughter still lets me call her princess but i stopped calling my son prince i think around nine or ten mm. but if he'd given me free reign he would still be called prince oh yeah <laughs> so and we'd only let him dress in purple no i'm just kidding <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um i you know the words that we are told mm-hmm. um that's a big part of my story 
of, you know, how I became me is that I had to overcome the poopy words of other people, but those words are a reflection of the words we give inside ourselves, but not taken so far that my daughter's going to school. If she were, you know, to be like, do you know who I am? I am a princess, right? And we still have accountability and responsibility to how we show up to others. Mm -hmm. But, um, I don't think we can pour too much love into our kids. So I, I agree with you there. I, you know, you can't, put a quote on how many times you're supposed to say, I love you to your kids, right? Like you could, you could say it all day long and it's still, it's still valid. Same and the sad spouse. thing is, yeah. so I kind of left that, that dangling, uh, you know, topic there, but um, that, you know, I always referring to my kids in a positive way. I have loved being a teenager mom, but I think it's because I always told them that they would still be awesome mm-hmm. and that they still had accountability and responsibility. Um, but they have had, emotional needs of me that when they're about 11, they don't seem as high maintenance, but they are going to have more needs of you guys as they get older. Mm. And I mean, just the other day, somebody was, you know, we call it bullying. Now when we, when I was a kid, they just called it kids being kids, but you know, she was being bullied um, by someone. And there was a lot of like, how do I navigate this? And the teenage brain is complicated. And so I've been you know, I almost feel like the demand of the physical demand of toddlers is now parallel to the emotional and psychological demand because I don't get to solve all their problems now. And that's super annoying, Mm. right? Because I don't get to walk into the school and be like, hey, you were mean to my kid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that'd go over well. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. But when my son was bullied as a fifth grader, I called the principal up and I'm like, hey, I'd like to talk to the parents, right? Mm -hmm. I can't do that now so how much more time does it take to be able to help them learn how to advocate for themselves yeah no that's good i this conversation's been good because i'm gonna i'm gonna positive talk up the future years you know i can't wait till you're 13 man you're gonna be so much stronger and more capable and you're gonna be awesome i just can't wait to see the amazing contribution you're gonna give to life and to others and oh notice how that kid was being so kind i love that i see kindness in you Mm, i like it you know having grabbing other kids like you you know if my son had been 13 when you were 16 i would have been like notice what adam's doing and i don't i can't remember specific stories i just remember how impressed I was with you as a young person, but that finding kids like that, that I can say, look how they're doing, look what they're doing. Look at that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I like, I like that when you're looking outside the, your family unit too, because a lot of times it gets so competitive within the family unit. It's like, well, you're saying that about her, but you're not saying that about me. So but aren't there like eight kids in your family or something? No, I, I grew up in a family of five kids. Okay, well, there were a lot. Yeah, that, right. that is a good amount. Yeah. Yeah. My I wife didn't... grew up in a family of nine kids. So she's got, wow. yeah, she's got yeah. a really good network on that side from all those. Well, things. I have two living children, you know, three children, but we don't make it competitive with their sister in heaven because that would be rude. Why can't you be more perfected? <laughs> and then they could come back and say, because I'm not with God, I'm with you. <laughs> Right. And like, you're like, yep. Yeah. Yep. Touche. <laughs> you know, you so, but uh, my kids don't, I think it's because there's just the two of them and they're a boy and a girl that they don't tend to get too competitive with each other. So, but in my family of origin there where I'm one of five kids and there was um, um, a lot of comparison. And I think that does lead to competition, which is 
you know, there's, that's a whole other podcast of stickiness, right? Well, yeah. Competition can be fun though. Like it depends what the spirit of the competition is. You know what I mean? Uh, How like did your parents do it I, right? I don't know if you know this, but my little brother and I, we had, we created a YouTube channel called Brothers Duel. I did not like know these this. really dumb competitions and uh-huh. ended up getting canceled because I uh, broke my hand punching a paper plate in half. So you mean canceled by your parents, not you? Canceled by my wife, yeah. Oh, by your wife. (laughs) She didn't want me breaking my hand. And that was, ironically, it was like a couple months before the bar exam. I break my typing hand. So you broke your hand. Okay, how? Okay, explain. Um, Uh, I've actually broken boards with my hands. That's uh, cool. Studying karate. I wasn't trained like you. So I no training. It's actually about and, the green of the wood. Oh yeah. yeah. This was a this was a Costco Dixie. You know, those are those things are pretty tough. We're not talking like the paper plates that dissolve or like the foam paper plates. We're talking right. like these got wax on them, you know. And, <laughs> and as we all know, got, wax is like yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so my brother was holding it kind of in front of him and I just punched through and uh it popped the plate in half, but it also gave me a boxer's fracture, right? My best guess of what actually happened in terms of the impact was it when I hit the plate, it pulled his hands closer together and I kind of hit grazed his palm with my pinky knuckle. Oh, okay. Just crumpled it. So it was it was pretty silly. And it was it was a Memorial Day weekend barbecue thing, and we just spoiled it and had to go to the well know, now I have to go there. look it up. Is it still on YouTube? Uh, it, so it is, but the funniest thing you can find on it, if you search right this minute dot com it's this little like news channel viral news thing that picked us up and they made fun of us and it's super hilarious how they make fun of us but so just search right this minute karate chop breaks hand paper plate something like that oh they made fun of you find it for a minute there i'm like that should you should uh dixie should be like sponsoring you like plates <laughs> so strong they break That's this good hand. Yeah, yeah we have we didn't try that angle we weren't yeah. on you know, enterprising. We were just having a good time, but yeah, we have a really silly YouTube channel with really dumb competitions. Like, yeah, I, uh, I won't. Okay, but the that. original question here: How did your parents do competition in a way? How did they? Because I always handled conflict with my kids, of you know, trying to put them together. You guys work this out. Trying not to be the mediator as much, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Trying to let them handle things because I feel like they've got to learn how to resolve conflict between themselves. And unless it was getting in a bad direction, okay, then I'll step in. Right. But how did your parents let you guys, how did they, how do they manage that competition thing? I'm curious since that's not something I personally have had to really deal with between my kids. So I think there are enough years between most of us that it like the further apart in age you get, the more the risk of like the serious negative competition like breaking your hand yeah well so that's just goofing off and like so my little brother he's like three years younger than me and so we were pretty different physically at that point I I don't really know that there were many competition issues as kids growing up like I think we were playful and um and competitive that way because I think competition can be healthy and can bring out the best in you. Like it's good to go to the gym with a buddy and like compete against each other. You'll bring right, out the best right. in each other and it's a lot more fun. But, um, but what I can say, just like reflecting on my childhood that I thought my parents did really, really well is um, they didn't apply like a particular program to all their kids. 
like they they saw their kids as individuals and they adapted dramatically and mm -hmm. so um you know my little brother he had a lot of like incentives and carrots and things like that reward programs when he was really young that worked really well for him you know and it was really good for him to have that um and I didn't have that kind of thing, but I wasn't like jealous when I saw him getting that kind of, because I just realized like, oh, it's working for him. Like it's bringing right. That, the right kind of behavior. Yep. And this is when he was really young. And um, anyway, so I just felt like they adapted with all of us and, you know, they taught us different things. I don't know what my mom stressed with my little brother in terms of life lessons, but with me, she'd always say, you know, relationships are the most important thing. You know, you can take them with you after you die in a relationship with God, your relationship with each other. That's like do the max, the most important thing and love, love, love. And then um, the other thing that she told me a lot, and it was it, for me a very positive thing, it's going to sound maybe a little bit terrible out of context without her loving tone and like the smile. They say it in a loving way and I'll yeah, smile. Yeah, yeah, she's, <laughs> yeah. And so uh, she would tell me quite often, like, don't get a big head you know, like, no, I don't I, think that's bad at all. I yeah, think, that's... yeah, it's, it was good. And, so, and I would um, say that one of the words that has occurred to me during this interview is your humility. Oh, thank you. And so it looks like you took your mom's advice because, you know, a big head becomes about you mm -hmm. and your skills instead of having humility to realize lessons can come from different people, different sources. And, you know, we learn the most when we're open, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think too, um, the way I've tried to refine that message, you know, and what the meaning it's took on for me is not necessarily um, making sure my head is smaller than others, right? But if you're going to have any kind of big head to allow other people the same kind of big headedness, right? So like big ideas can come from anyone. They can come yeah. from you, they yeah. can come from anyone. Right? You know what I'm saying? I feel like we're saying the same thing, it's but same you know, thing. Yeah, when you think about and stuff. ego uh -huh. and how, you know, um, the traditional idea of ego is placing yourself above someone else. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, I am a confidence expert and mm -hmm. I think I'm awesome, but I don't think I'm the only awesome person. There you go. I think yeah, pretty yeah, much yeah, everybody right. can be awesome. I think, you know, that's, that's yeah. the share your hotness concept, right? <laughs> that we all yeah, have our own unique that. spark. Mm -hmm. We all have our own unique heat. Okay. So Adam, I'm going to ask you three questions. Okay. okay. You ready? I'll, I'll try to answer them concisely. <laughs> No, I, I think it's been fun. Okay, so what is your fuel? So this is something that is in your life that lights you up, maybe a daily habit or affirmation, mm. um, you know, something you crush. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to add in words that- Yeah, I don't think I, I crush this particular thing, um, but just uh, feeling loved by people and trying to love them in return. I mean, that kind of is just the, the power to- to life. Um, yeah, I just knowing I've got friends and I've got family and I've got other people in my life that I care about that gives me <laughs> meaning and purpose and love it energy. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that would I've, be I've known in my life, uh, you know, people think, you know, being on the stage is I'm a severe extrovert is like uh, the biggest thrill, mm. but really it's, it's my family. Yes. I love what I get to do. <laughs> but what really fuels me as well is my family. Yeah. Well, and I so, love, you know, kids in particular are really great to be around. Like I like coaching sports and, and being with my kids in that context and other kids too. And I just love 
watching little people like they're yeah. just so amazing they're so, the best i agree i miss my people being little people <laughs> uh okay so what is your oxygen what is in you that others may not see that is a part of everything you've become um part of everything i've become so oh man that's a good question so uh my oxygen my daily breath my So I, I, I tend to think a lot and I don't, I don't know for sure that I think, you know, more or less than other people. Cause I've never been in anybody else's brain as a kid. Like I thought if I could get one gift from God, it would be to go in somebody else's head for like a day and just, yeah, or just for a day. I want to live there. Just, yeah. Just to know like, Oh, other right. people actually do think like me or they think differently. You know, I had a friend that I talked to one time and I was like, you know, I think in words, like I have conversations with myself in my head all the time. Like, and this particular friend was like, oh, I don't think in words at all. It's just like more basic. I'm like, how do you not? <laughs> but it makes, I mean, kids think they don't necessarily have words, you know, as they're, as, as they're toddlers and toddlers. But, but yeah, so for me, I have a lot of, I, I, I don't know, but I, I feel like I think a lot, um, sometimes overthink, you know, and, and uh, tend to be almost open-minded to a fault where I can kind of waffle on certain things like even something as fundamental as like is there a God and is God good like I've seriously questioned that in my life and I've come really close to saying no I don't believe in God or no I don't believe God is good but I, I pulled through that inquiry with you know and I learned some things through that process but so I'd say that's part of my oxygen um, part of just it's good to ask those questions uh, I was kind of mentioning that earlier in our conversation that I think we get to um, if we get too much into ideology without asking why uh -huh. and what the benefit is, then, you know, we, we run the risk of being blindly bl having blind faith if it's religion or being used as a tool if it's an ideology. Right. Yeah. Well, so what I'd say that I've learned from because I've done things kind of in a more unhealthy inquisitive way like when I started law school and I was I was getting more of the tools or at least honing the tools of like critical inquiry challenging every premise uh trying to poke holes and things you know issue spotting is something you practice right. in law school um you know that can be very damaging in relationship context to like have that glued <laughs> up high right if you um, use that on your wife you, you know you yeah, yeah. you don't want to or even on your on yourself you know in like yeah. trying to evaluate your own character right you don't want to do too much issue spotting but what i found is if you take that same critical inquiry tool and you switch it you switch it like on its head instead of looking for issues you can find diamonds all over the place so it's more like this treasure hunt where you go like where's the diamond in this situation mm -hmm. where's the diamond in this policy where's the diamond in this person or diamonds and Yes. Um, rather than finding all the lumps of coal, you know, 
finding the diamonds and the same in yes. critical inquiry to find diamonds and be able to discern like, oh, this really is a diamond. Like, wow, this is this person's superpower, at least one of them. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I've I like that a lot effort to do uh, more the diamond hunting rather than the issue spotting that right. I'm traditionally trained to do as a attorney. No, I, I think that goes back to, you know, just loving people like your, like your mama taught you, right? that um, we all have faults, but we're all becoming. Um, Okay, what is your heat? This is a unique gift or talent that you give the world. It may be the thing that you're most proud of. Hmm. So as I would say, your spark that you light up others with, right? Uh, I I, so um, I really try to understand people's languages, not just like that they speak English or like in your case, you know, ASL, right? You've got these, you got these basic languages, but, but I try to like understand their slang, try to understand their tone. So like, if they like sarcasm, I can, I feel comfortable being sarcastic with them and like speaking that love language, or if they like to be teased and I like to be teased, like we can have that kind of relationship. And mm-hmm. so the relationship I have with people is a lot different depending on who the person is and what kind of language that I feel that they're speaking. And so um, I, I feel like that's uh, a part of communication that be overlooked, you know, and there's books about love languages and things like that. And, you know, not, but I'm just communicating with them the best me. way that they can hear you. Yeah. Trying to trying to be like, what language do I speak with this person to help them see that I'm trying to be a, a really good friend and they're a really good friend to me. Love and it. So, um, and sometimes that language can be space, you know, it can be silence, can be, you know, <laughs> it just depends yeah. on what's going on. No, I, I'm, a, I'm, in I'm a, working on that, but I'm in a holding a boundary accountability thing. Like the highest form of love sometimes is holding somebody accountable to not being poopy. that's the language sometimes we have to use with those we love right and i love when things are looking kind of poopy to like to look at it to try to figure out what's like the redemptive morality that could be backing this behavior that looks poopy like Mm -hmm. there i want to believe that there's some kind of good motivating factor in there and figure out what that is and embrace it and cherish it and celebrate it because um you know, I think a lot of the poopy things we do, you know, there could be some good behind it, some good motive behind it. You know, some people, they cling to their kids to the point of suffocating them, but that's because they love them so much. They don't want to have anything messed up. You know what I mean? There's some, yeah, in there, yeah. there's I, some I, uh, anxiety, you know, and so to, to parse out and be like, you know, the love's super cool. Like, well, if you know, but, just, just me talking about my son leaving for two years, I tear up with pride. Um, that he's going to go. I, I'm like, you just push the button and it's like, here's the reaction um, because I am going to miss having him in my home so much, you know, but um, I know that other parents have done it. And, you know, like we talked a little bit earlier, how you went and served a mission for our same faith. Um, you served teaching people of Sweden about Jesus Christ. So, um, you know, people have done it. We can do this. <laughs> yeah. Hey, can I ask you a random question? You've got three marks on your hand like oh are those, are those lipstick or what, what yeah it's they? lipstick it's actually a light day during oh. 2020 was the first time that I could look down at my hand and not see lipstick marks it's me helping my clients find their ideal lip color 
but before oh. 2020, you know, and it stays on for two or three days because I don't salivate on my hand. Right. <laughs> so it will, you know, it'll, how many clients I've had, it kind of navigates up my heart, my arm, but literally during 2020 was the first time that because I wasn't allowed to touch people that I'd look down and be like, that is so weird. I don't have like a roving tattoo. So basically. you'll throw fists up in front of people's faces and go, okay, this shade. <laughs> No, I mean, actually, I can just look at people and be like, here's the color. But this is me letting them have some choices. (laughs) That's pretty fun. Okay, because you you see the world in words. Uh And I see the world. I I'm visual. I visually see everything, including Mm -hmm. art and color. And I love it. I love it. I organize my Skittles according to Hugh as a (laughs) child, as an H-U-E, you know, I get you. So, you know, sometimes people are like, who's Hugh? And I'm like, (laughs) right. So I just, every, the, I love color and I love the nuance of it all. And it makes me happy. And so even though I'm a speaker and author, people are like, you still do the makeup thing. And I'm like, I'm really good at it. And I like it. And I'd be going around giving people um, advice when they asked me for it anyway. So might as well um, have a resource to help them with. Right. Yeah, you cool. know, might as well have it be part of my business. Yeah, I like but that. um, Adam, you have been a delightful guest and I'm so happy that you consented to do this and to see somebody that I, you know, as a, as a kid, it just, it just makes your heart happy to get to see how the story is turning out. You know, your story's not done because you're not as old as me, but, uh, <laughs> which I'm still not done. I'm only, I'm just approaching my halfway mark. Um, life maybe, is a maybe, grand adventure. Like so, to like 130, you know. You know. Well, um, <laughs> I with a degenerative hip, I'm not sure if 130, unless they come up with new technology, is is a is a desirable plan. Um, <laughs> you know. So anyway, I really appreciate your time today, Adam, and thank you so much. And go hug that awesome wife of yours and those adorable kids. The Share Your Hotness podcast is produced by Van Garrett Media. Lita Green is the host and creator of the podcast. Chris Van Garrett is the editor, producer, and music director. Shayla Dawn is our research coordinator. Join us next week for another episode of the Share Your Hotness podcast. Thanks for listening. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media.